I find for myself when I was coming up, the, the days I learned the most and the, what the, the days I had the breakthroughs uh, on certain moves or, you know, I maybe I've been rolling with this brown belt as a blue belt for three months now and he's just beat me up. The days I didn't want to go to the gym were the days it's like, wow, I caught finally caught that move on, you know. Um, but that happens a lot. You're going to have to force yourself to do stuff you don't want to do. But eventually it becomes habitual. Welcome to the Waste No Day podcast, a podcast specifically for and about the home services industry as it relates to plumbing, heating, air conditioning, and electrical. More than a podcast, Waste No Day is a credo, a determination, a mindset. It is a never-ending discipline. It is a refuse-to-lose pursuit. It is a wake-up call every morning to waste no day. Now here's your hosts, Brian Burton and Nate Minnick. Hey, welcome to the Waste No Day podcast. I'm your host, Nate. I'm Brian. And we are here with you for a new week. We are very excited about this subject. We're breaking into self-discipline. No better way to do that on a Monday morning, bright and early. Right, Brian? Oh, yeah. Glad to be here, <laughs> even though we're recording this on a Tuesday morning. There it is. And for all of you running late to work right now, uh, self-discipline's right up your alley. So <laughs> let's, yeah. let's dig into that with a quote. Go ahead, Brian. Self-discipline is the number one delineating factor between the rich, the middle class, and the poor. Robert Kiyosaki. Yeah, really good point there, Brian. And I think that what it comes down to so much is that, I mean, this is America. In most cases, I don't know that we have any people listening outside the country, but I mean, if you want to dream, it's it's pretty much right there in front of you, and it's how far are you willing to pursue it? What uh, what level of discipline are you willing to employ to go get it? The opportunity is yours, and that's really what we preach here, uh, where Brian and I work. Um, we say that we we constantly say we put high dollar opportunities in front of our employees, and the rest is up to them. Right, that's our inward facing. Um company niche yeah it's our niche that's what we do here <clears throat> but in general whatever whatever we aspire to we we more than likely have the opportunity to make it happen it's just a matter of of using self-discipline and for most of us that's that's a muscle we have to train and grow um there are those rare exceptions of people who are just kind of naturally disciplined i'm certainly not one of them um Every in every way that I have self discipline, it took a long, hard. It was a long journey to get there. Through, I'm pretty lazy. I'm I'm a horrific procrastinator. I get interrupted on podcasts. Yeah, <laughs> there's a there's only one sign on the door that says podcast recording. So that's my fault. Ladies and gentlemen, this is an exhibition in self-discipline right here. How long can we keep Brian Burton's attention? Well, anytime there's a knock and the door opens in the middle of the podcast, expect to lose it. Uh, yeah, <clears throat> not disciplined in uh, attention yet, working on that one. Yeah, it's uh, self-discipline is a muscle. It's got to be trained. It's got to be worked out. And then if you stop training it, it atrophies like any muscle. 100%. It goes away. Um, so... I myself do a lot of things that, um, for back of a lack of a better term, I guess, make me uh, inflict pain on myself, so to speak. 
like getting up at 4.30 to work out. And that's gotten easier lately because my wife goes to CrossFit now. So we get up at 4.30 together, chit-chat at the kitchen island, have coffee, like do some stretches and stuff like that. <clears throat> and then I go downstairs and work out. She goes to CrossFit. Um, but for the longest time since 2012, I've just gotten myself up more than anything because it's something that I don't really want to do and make myself go do it. Um, as a lot of guys around here know, I, I take cold showers, uh, sometimes after a nice hot shower to wake up, but then I crank it over to cold and um, just let it run until it doesn't hurt anymore because with that 300-foot deep well in uh, Pennsylvania here, that water can come up pretty cold <laughs> and it can actually be physically painful when it when it first hits you. Um, and there, there are other things that I just do because I feel like if I don't find something, find some pain to inflict on myself, some discomfort, then I'm, I'm going to soften back up and get lazy again and start procrastinating and just kind of lose all that I've gained as a result of getting myself under control and, and finding ways to be more disciplined. Yeah, and you're absolutely right, Brian. Self-discipline is absolutely a muscle that can atrophy. And the quickest way to see that is attempt to go on a diet. <clears throat> see how long you last. If you last more than a few days, good for you. And then attempt to create or keep a diet after you go on vacation. That is like bar none the easiest way to fall out of rhythm to something, right? Unless you continue the diet or whatever program you're on, even working out through the vacation. If you don't, even a few days, a long weekend, a day or two out of rotation, and it's so easy to fall out of that habit and into just laziness or not even laziness, but uh, I'll get it uh, tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow, right? And it's that whole mentality of procrastination, of, uh, you know, I'll get it the next time, of <clears throat> this was good enough that uh, we want to reject. And I think all of our listeners should be pursuing that type of mentality as well. It's not good enough. There is something better. There's something more. You can do the next level. You can go get it. And there can be a better version of you. And that's pretty much what I say at the end of every podcast that we wrap up, that we're constantly challenging to do that. And so we're really excited to talk about self-discipline today, which is one of the foundational things that drives each person to get better. Talk about it with a black belt in self-discipline. Ooh, I see. Yeah. That's a little, little bit of... Uh, a preview there. Yeah, say. I want to want to get a black belt and something. I just don't want to put in the work. Say, so I think you're wearing a black belt right now. So, congrats. Oh, true story. Yeah, that's part of the uh, tri brand uniform. I'm pretty sure belt. that would get you killed in jujitsu right now. <laughs> Saying something like that, <laughs> sacrilegious. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So, for, without further ado, we want to get into it uh, with our guest today. So, let's introduce Damien. Hey, our guest today is Damien Puapolo. Uh, he is joining us today. He's a friend of the show and a friend of Brian's, actually. He's the owner and head instructor at Gracie's 717 Gym, uh, located just here in Lancaster County. He is a second-degree black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, uh, and he has been training at this for a long time. Uh, he attended the University of South Florida. He was awarded a black belt in Gracie Jiu-Jitsu by world-renowned Helsin Gracie Black Belts by Phil and Ricardo Migliarese. Uh, Damien started his instructing as a blue belt and is now known by his students to be a patient technical instructor, stressing proper technique over strength. 
His instruction has helped produce many champions at national and local levels in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, uh, submission, grappling, and mixed martial arts competition. Uh, so with that, Damien, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. Welcome. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Taking some time out of your morning. We appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, so our subject today we're focusing on is self-discipline, uh, which is why we wanted to bring Damien in here as discipline is definitely one of the key elements to learning any martial art. And uh, we find that discipline uh, is a good attribute in life no matter what. And so we wanted to bring in him just kind of as an outsider perspective on how to apply discipline into your everyday life and really what that, that can do for you as a home service professional. Right. And Damien, uh, <clears throat> clear, clearly by the amount of time it took him to get his black belt, which is um, a very short amount of time in, in uh, I would say, I was looking at like how you progress through the belts and, and we'll let you go into that and talk about like starting at a white belt and how you get to black belt. And I'm like the time that it took you to get that black belt uh, as, as Damien trains my son and daughter and they're both white belts right now. Probably eight months in, I believe. Um, yeah, I think so. But I look at I look at the time it takes. Like you had to have been putting every spare minute for what did you do under eight years? Yeah, it was right around eight years, just shy of eight years. And what's the average? Uh, average ten, twelve. Sheesh. Um, so there's there's rules to it also. According to the IBJJF, you have to sit at a belt for a certain amount of time. So I think the minimum time is five years that you can do it in. And usually that's guys that are out winning worlds every year that progress that fast. Probably came from a wrestling background and did a lot of... Uh, or, or a Brazilian, like came up in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. As, as like kids, yeah. dads were into it, that kind of thing. Yeah. So let's talk about your... Uh, your, your journey through it. What made you get into it in the first place? And then how did you, what did, what did it take for you to progress belts as fast as you did? And, and, uh, what did that look like? Uh, originally, uh, I don't know if you remember UFC one. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, Voice. we used to, yeah, we used to rent those on video cassette. Um, <clears throat> so back then there weren't any schools. I grew up in Florida. Um, there weren't any schools around. And so, you know, we would goof with the stuff in the bedroom, you know, in the, in the front yard. Uh, years went on, and I was getting ready to move to Tampa for college. And uh, Ultimate Fighter Season 1 was on that year. Uh, so the first thing I did is, you know, start to get popular. Found a school when we moved to Tampa. Uh, I think within a week I was training. And so... Back then, I believe in Florida, in, in the Tampa area, there were only two schools. It was the school I started in, and then there was another school uh, 30, 40 minutes away. And that, luckily, I was two blocks away from the school nice. that I was training in. And how old were you? I was older when I started, uh, late 20s. Okay. So I'm 40, 45 this month. So, um, 28, 29, I think, when I started. So there's still hope for you, Brian. <laughs> I'm going to start at 41. I have plenty of guys. Um, I had a private this morning with a guy that was in his 60s. So Nice. Wow. Yeah. Still hope for you, Brennan. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, as far as the training goes, uh, first few months I was training, like anyone else, a few days a week. Um, I just didn't realize 
that I could train all day long. And there's a certain point where you figure out, I just want to be good at this. I'm tired of getting submitted. Yeah. <laughs> by everyone. That's uh, um, it's no different than our, our technicians going in and getting beat up by the, yeah. by the client. And then you realize that <clears throat> I can train, I can, I can go to a communication yeah. seminar, learn some body language skills, learn some tonality skills and, uh, start winning these, these, yeah. uh, fights a little bit more. Yeah. I took a, it was, it was a rough road. Um, think at the time it was about three quarter time in at the college and then I had a part-time job so I had come from when when we moved to Tampa I'd come from working at uh, United Space Alliance which is the main contractor for NASA so a lot of my school was paid for nice. so only needed a part-time job cashed out my 401k <laughs> lived on that for a year um so I think I was doing, after about three months, I figured out I could, I could, my, my day job was 7 a.m. to 11 a.m. So I figured I could get to the gym by 11, 15, and that's when the class was over, but they started sparring. So you were getting there just for open mat. Just for open mat in the wow. morning. Uh, that's a heck of a way to learn. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was just the morning time. Okay. So we'd spar till, you know, maybe 1.30, 2 o'clock, go home do my homework, um, go to class. Most of my classes I scheduled around jujitsu. So go to class, leave class, drive to the gym, start six o'clock class there, <laughs> take class till seven o'clock, uh, spar till eight. Uh, we had two rooms at this gym. Um, they had beginner class at seven. So uh, advanced class at six, spar till eight, leave that room, go into the beginner room and then spar till nine with the beginners. Wow. So, uh, Monday through Friday and then Saturday, you know, we had class 10 to 11. I would be in there till one o'clock and then we had mats at the house uh, for Sunday training. Who's we, uh, my best friend. Okay. Uh, the, one of the guys that brought me up that I met through the gym. So I, uh, figured out we could buy mats off of eBay so we had about 140 feet in my dining room. Nice. <laughs> Not a second floor apartment, I'm guessing. Uh, yeah, was, actually, yeah, it was a nice apartment. But we'd roll up, you know, we'd move the kitchen table, the dining room, roll up mats, roll them out, tape them down, slide the table out in the back porch, and then train. Wow. So how, about how many hours a week day would you say you were putting in? Um, thinking about that on the way here. Um, average probably about five a day. Five, five hours, hours a day. Yeah. Weekends? Uh, about five hours on Saturday, four hours on Saturday, and maybe an hour or two on Sunday. Okay. Uh, and why why Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu as opposed to any other martial art? Um, I came from a traditional martial arts background, the punching, kicking stuff, and yeah. just wasn't into it. I, I took that as a child. As soon as you say UFC won... Yeah, you that also. About, you think about all those guys who came in with all their striking yep. uh, arts and you know hoist, boxers and kickboxers. destroyed and, everyone. And there was one guy who who always had that gi on, mm -hmm. and he did a lot of grappling, and you would think, man, that's got to be cumbersome, and, and he would use that gi against people, and he would I – mean, he did he did a little striking, but it was just like ground and minimal. Yeah, it was minimal striking. It was all grappling and just using people's own – limbs against them and it was something that i remember seeing and just going what in the world is this guy doing and i was 
I was fairly young, but not, you know, not so young. I don't remember it, but it was just, yeah, there weren't any in Detroit that I, that I recall any gyms in Detroit, but I remember watching him going, my gosh, do I want to know yeah. what that guy does? I mean, and it's, you couldn't even find a gym then. Um, there's no internet. That's true. Back then. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think they were still on, you know, windows one <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> the first five. Yeah. So, you know, you, you couldn't, you couldn't find it anywhere. Yeah. So, you know. Awesome. So you joined as a, as a student yep. and you progressed your way through the ranks. And then I believe according to your bio there, you started instructing when you were blue belt. So like how many degrees up is that? Uh, blue belts are second belt. So we have uh, white, blue, purple, brown, black. Um, so I, I went from white to blue pretty fast. Yeah. Uh, I think it was maybe eight months. And then at that point, you're able to instruct, like, brand new people. Well, uh, essentially what would happen is, you know, you, you build relationships in the gym, a, a lot of times friends. And then the newer students start to come in. And when you're a little higher up, everyone needs help. So you have, like, your training buddies. So you're teaching back and forth. And a lot of times, you know, you have your small group that you're always working with. So that's how how we started teaching yeah you know i know this set of moves you're brand new instructor just taught maybe an arm lock or or whatever and they're just passing the knowledge down and then when we're training at the house on a sunday you know people are coming in going out and you know you want to build your own partners so that's the only way to get good is to have good partners so you have to make your partners good so speak to that a little bit in terms of customer service. You're now the owner of your own gym, and I'm assuming that that whole idea of, of training buddies or partnerships still exists. And, oh, yeah. And you foster that environment. And, and that, like, in terms of customer service or just any anybody trying to improve their craft has a very important thing there. So how, how do you employ that environment in the gym that you own now? Um, so the gym, you know, we have certain operating hours where the gym is open for class. Uh, but usually we're open an hour, half hour before we stay open until the last person's done training. So there's no, there's no shutdown time. So, um, Brian, I don't know if you, did you, have you met Jason? Uh, does Jason teach? He's the, one of my purple belts. He's, he's one of the, does he teach one of the cl- classes occasionally? No, he's, he's always in back. I, I think you see everyone, we What's have two, yeah, uh, Jason Hagee. Oh, yeah, so, yeah, I know Hagee. So we have two rooms in the gym. Uh, when the kids' classes are going on, a lot of the guys come in early, and they're in the back room, and they're working with each other. They're drilling whatever moves they need to drill. I'm usually sitting there with them, you know, uh, instructing a little bit on the side. I can't sell a private in my own gym <laughs> for the most part because I, I let everyone teach. If, if they have the knowledge, I want them to pass it to the next person, you know. Okay. Um, you have certain body types uh, that lend themselves to different movements. So what I do on the mat is not necessarily going to be applicable for your body type. So all of those guys, it's a, just an open teaching environment. Um, as long as they know what they're doing. Uh, sometimes I'll have to, you know, well, let's correct this a little bit. Um, but... 
everyone's allowed to teach in there uh, if they have the knowledge. So is that just a general culture of Brazilian jiu-jitsu as a whole that like it's an understanding that as you learn, you also pay, yes. pay forward? The way I came up. Okay. Yeah, the way I came up, there's some schools I've been to that only the, the head instructor is allowed to teach the movements. Yeah. Now it, within that, you know, like it, it, in your environment there that you're trying to create, do you do intentional pairing? Do you say like, Hey, uh, you know, Johnny come over here. I do. You're really good at this. And Frank really needs to learn this move. I want you two to work together for a while. Yes, I do. Uh, especially with newer students. Um, so a lot of times people as a, as a new student, you'll come in with a friend. You know, a lot of people don't come in on their own. If I pair those two people together for a class, it's it's a mess. <laughs> Why is that? Uh, they their bodies don't work yet. It takes a while to figure out how to move your body the right way. Um, even simple things like how to how to get up, how to stand up the right way if you're uh, in a seated position on the mat. So we try to pair pair the newer people up with seasoned people, yeah, seasoned students. Uh, and the same thing uh, talking about Jason. His style is completely different than my style. So a lot of the guys that are built like him, it's like, go work with Jason because you're going to be good at all the stuff he's, got, he's good at. You're not going to be good at the stuff I'm good at. You know? And Damien, do you find that the best pairings occur when a younger student goes looking for a teacher or when a teacher goes looking for a, uh, a younger student? I think it has to be mutual. Yeah. Um, you know, because then you have certain personalities that don't fit together. Yeah. So, um, so they're usually in the gym, they'll find each other. Um, so I'm just kind of curious because like in, in our gym, you might say in, yeah. in our world, we have, we have young students yeah. who are learning and we also have masters of the craft. And I'm just trying to wonder, you know, is it better for a 30 year veteran of the trades to go looking and saying like, Hey, listen, I have all this knowledge and I want to tell you, or is it better for a brand new person coming into the trades to say, hey, I need somebody to teach me? As an instructor, um, I prefer students that are hungry for knowledge. Yeah. Um, for real knowledge, not YouTube knowledge. There's, you know, YouTube's big now in jujitsu. When I was coming up, you, if you wanted to learn outside the classroom, uh, you had to pay the 70, 80, 90, 100 dollars and get instructional videos. And even then, as a beginning student, you don't know what you're looking at most of the time. It's, this is so true because yeah. I, <clears throat> due to a knee injury, I didn't join with my kids like we were planning on it uh, right before COVID happened. Um, but I'll sit in a chair from time to time and watch them train. And but my kids are big enough that despite they're young, they're in the adult classes. Yeah. And I watch Jason, let's say, who's usually toward the front of the mat yeah. training, um, do something. And, you know, just messing around at home, I'll, like, try to do it myself. I'm like, it makes no, it makes no sense. Yeah. It makes no sense to watch somebody do something and then, like, try to do it. And Jason's funny, too, because I've I watched him train for a long time before my daughter, Juliana, in yeah. her first tournament as a white belt. And then I saw Jason putting all this stuff together. Dude, is, he's ferocious. <laughs> it was terrifying watching him do yeah. everything that I watch him train slowly. And then like occasionally he'll, everybody will speed up a little bit when, when they're rolling. He's not a large guy either. No, he's, he's small. And yeah. it was insane to watch. Like it's not just that he puts all these moves together that I've seen him, all these guys training on, but it's like how fast 
that muscle memory kicks in and you make all these physical connections that I see like, I mean, even watching them train, it, it changed the way I do my training downstairs with the teams where it used to be um, kind of instructor led. I would stand at the board and, you know, we'll say presentation training. Um, I would just talk and then say, all right, go out and try it yourselves. Where now, so Damien will get on the mat and he'll use, you know, his, his test subject. He'll just randomly pick somebody to come into the middle and he'll slowly show you a move and he'll explain what it does and why it does that. <clears throat> and then he'll really role play it and they'll do it. They'll yeah. do the move in, in real time. And then he, they just say, all right, break. And everybody, you know, breaks. And then they get, they pair off um, and they all slowly try it. And then the other person slowly tries it. And then they start like doing the move. And we've actually moved to a training like that um, with the groups here when I'm training where it's like me slowly explaining this is how you say this and what you do in this circumstance in a presentation and then bringing somebody up and role-playing it and then picking people to get up and, and do it themselves. And then we go to pair-offs where everybody pairs off with somebody else and does it. And it's 100% because of me sitting in that gym watching yeah, watching every, it go down. It's everyone, so effective. Everyone has a different learning style. So it, it's we try to cover – well, what I'm teaching, I try to cover all the learning styles. Um some people have to do it. Other people, I can I can explain a move to them. And Hagee, I can he's he's been in enough. I can explain a move to him. Ninety percent of the time, he knows exactly what I'm talking about, and he can just do it. Um, beginning students, a lot of times, if I make a correction, I have to move them into the position. Um, so I'll be one of those students. <laughs> I was one of those students in the beginning. It's very um, unnatural to me. <laughs> So, you know, I, we try to cover it all. So where you have to see it, hear it, and then do it. Right. And that, that helps a lot. Um, and then some students, you know, uh, are a combination. They, they need a combination of learning styles or teaching styles. So, um, and you can tell like the kinesthetic learners uh, when I'm teaching the move, if you watch, you'll see them like acting it out on the side, on the side of the mat. Um, those are the guys I actually will move to a lot of times and move them into position. Okay. Yeah. You can actually see probably about 20% of the people in yeah. there almost slowly doing the move with you yeah. as you're doing it. Yeah, it's funny that you bring that up. Yeah. It is interesting because uh, the audio visual and kinesthetic yep. learning styles is something that we've discussed not on this podcast, but in this building before. And uh, it, it's something that unfortunately gets um, not enough, publicity you might say yeah. you know there's a lot of classroom style learning there's a lot of online training those types of things yeah. and that that might be good for an audio learner or a visual learner uh but you have a fair amount of people in the trades that are like oh, just g give me a wrench you know yeah. just give me the stuff and let me let me play with it and we probably miss out a little bit on teaching that way sure yeah. well you know i also ask them to keep uh journals so um i'd say about half the the Half the higher level students do. They they keep some kind of notes, either in their phone or they handwrite them, also, which helps them remember stuff. Yeah, I do believe my kids don't have notes, so uh -huh. I'm taking out my notes right now. What what type of uh, what type of notes would somebody be taking? Um, well, which move was being taught that day? Um, who taught it? Who their partner was? Describe it to yourself in your own words, what the move was. Usually when I 
explain to someone how I would do it. Um, and then if you have to write st stick figures, <laughs> stick right. figures work, work, work great. Um, you know, if they can draw it out, if they're having an issue with which part of the move they're having issues with, um, that way, when we go back, you might not have to rep the whole move. You might be able to just rep a section of the move. Maybe the rest of the move is good. And it's one little piece they're having an issue with. So is that something that you grew up doing or is that something that you instituted in your own gym? Um, I grew up maybe about two years in, I started doing that. Journaling. Um, yeah, because I, I would go to seminars with really, you know, really good instructors and seminar might be two, three hours long. You go in there, you're doing all these really neat jujitsu movements. And then a week later, you don't remember them. Right. You know, because you're not going to get to use them right away, you know, outside of the, the repetition. So you don't just go grab somebody on the sidewalk and kind of put yeah. them in a yeah, some submission hold. <laughs> not anymore. <laughs> we are going to get into that, by the way. Yeah. yeah, stay tuned after the show where Damien will be exhibiting some of these moves on Brian. No. <laughs> no. Uh, we, just storytelling, that's yeah. all. Yeah, we do have um, – it, it kind of correlates into the trades, except it's it's – flipped on its head where uh, in jiu-jitsu you have tons and tons and tons of training. I mean, there are, you still, you have students who are in two training classes a day still, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. So, so you might have training in the morning, training in the evening for, I mean, if you take my daughter, it was seven months, I believe, before she entered a tournament. Yeah. Um, whereas in the trades, you might, you might have, uh, depending on what you're talking about, you might have two trainings a week and then a tournament four times a day, five days a week. Yeah. I mean, you're going in there and, and uh, using your skills. The one benefit we'll have is, a, is an apprenticeship, but um, I don't care how, how long you've been in. I mean, last I looked it up, there are over a thousand jujitsu moves and they, I'm sure they keep adding them constantly. I mean, you're, um, yeah, I, I so, I guess it would depend on what you call a move because like uh, our bodies are different. So the way I do a move would not be the way you would probably do one. So this so would be it's, two it's, completely it's, different yeah, moves. It's infinite for the most part. You know, there's a certain set like your basics to have a really good understanding uh, of the basics really helps with everything else later on down the line, especially with, with the learning also, because if I'm teaching, uh, a certain type of arm lock. Like, oh, I'm not necessarily teaching the arm lock. I'm teaching you how to get into it from a different position. You should already know the arm lock. If you have good basics, you've already learned half the move right there. You're just learning a little piece now. So I don't have to explain to you how to control the wrist and how to roll the arm out. You know, all, all the fancy jujitsu stuff that has to happen to break an arm, <laughs> you know. Uh, so you're teaching how to get there from this position. Correct. Okay. Correct. And if your if your basics are sound, the learning's super simple. You know, but it takes a couple of years to get, you know, to lock it down with the basics. See, I think that plays into customer service a lot too, because we often look at customer service yeah. as a very dynamic environment. Like, you know, you're never quite sure how the customer is going to react. You're never quite sure how the environment or, or the situation is going to play out, but there's still some basics to it. Like yeah. I'm here to serve, I'm here to fix the problem. 
and, and kind of like what you're talking about there, there's some essential moves, but then there's infinite amount of ways of getting to those essential moves. Mm -hmm. you know, one of them might be defensive where somebody's yeah. coming at you and you have to move out of the way or do a different position or use different language to redirect. And the other one might be more progressive in style where you know, you're making the first steps towards something, a position or a conversation uh, to get ahead of things. So it, it kind of plays in nicely there. And the, the key about it is don't worry about the dyma dynamic situation as much as worry about the, the key elements of what you should be mastering. Correct. Yeah. Right. Uh, and and jujitsu beginning students goof that a lot the first year because there's a lot of fancy stuff if they're on youtube or they're watching tournament video there's a lot of very pretty stuff to watch uh, that's complicated if you're a new student um, and doesn't work if you're a new student because you don't have the fundamentals down <laughs> so that's, there's a there's a lot of that in the community they you know they jumping around they're trying to jump ahead and then they're three, four years in and they don't understand why they're, they can't arm, do a basic arm lock, you know? So. Wow. Three, four years in. Whew. See it all the time. <coughs> you know, I'll get students from other schools. Um, maybe they move from a different state. It, it happens a lot. You know? So what, what do you do when somebody has kind of, um, jumped head in the book you know they're reading chapter 20 and they skip 10 chapters in there how do you redirect them back to where they're supposed to be i've seen him do it he yells at them <laughs> until they stop put, put them in a grapple what the um, what are you even doing um i'm not known to be uh an instructor that candy coats things so, yeah um, i'm usually pretty straightforward you need to learn how to you know you need to learn how to do a b c and d before you do that i, th I think you need to update the bio yeah. in here man it says uh <laughs> let's see something about being patient is known oh. by his students to be patient <laughs> and <laughs> super patient he is long suffering yeah. I'll, I'll give him that uh, he's also but, very direct yeah it's but it directs the best way i think um it's always best to be direct um if they're there to learn, they understand I'm not picking on them. Yeah, and it is a, it's an odd yeah. dynamic in that yeah. place, and I'm, I'm assuming that is just the way of Brazilian jiu-jitsu and that um, everybody in there, I would say, is a competitive person. Yeah. Everybody in there. But you see very little um, competitive egos in that room. It's, it's such a weird... They don't, they don't last. We, we get them, but, you know, they might make it a month two months so karate kid isn't necessarily accurate no not at all okay the cobra kai dojo oh, you mean? yeah 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 i don't know i mean <laughs> it's funny because you I, I get to the tournament and this thing's huge it's much bigger than i thought it was going to be yeah, yeah that was a big tournament i had no yeah. reference point either yeah. i never jumped on youtube and watched a brazilian jiu-jitsu tournament but i walked in with my with my daughter and I'm, i remember just looking at kind of being overwhelmed and, and just getting excited and you see all these people who look super competitive, and they, and they are, and they get on that mat and, and, it, and go. And then when they stop it, they, they turn, they shake yep. hands or bow, or they're, they're very um, super respectful of yep. each other. And There's hugs at the end. We warm. Go, we go get a soda together. My <laughs> daughter lost her, her first <laughs> tournament, and the girl who beat her came over to her afterwards and gave her, gave her some tips and yep. pointers and said uh, she could tell she was she was brand new. I think she was like a year and a half into her white belt, but 
Um, and she gave her some tips and pointers and even told her to a couple things to do to get the guys at the gym to go harder on her yeah. rolling, which was, you know, <laughs> kick them in the shin or something. <laughs> but uh, it was great because um, everybody she rolled with came up afterwards and, and gave her advice and yeah. thanked her for being there. And it was a amazing thing to me because it's a different environment in it. Just yeah. So <laughs> what reference point do I have? I watch a lot of the UFC and yeah. Invicta and strike force and stuff like yeah, that. There's a lot of trash talk and that stuff. That's all. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's all, it's a completely yeah. different world, but this was much more respectful yeah. and, and uh, kind of what, you know, what we have here in this environment. Yeah, so how do, how do we, how do we drive that home, Brian? I mean, how, like in a lot of ways there is still ego in the trades. You know? Sure. You look at some dude who's just fresh out of school and, is installing things upside down or backwards or whatever. And like, you know, he gets, he's the butt of a joke for a while on that stuff. It doesn't quite seem to be the same style of mentorship as what we're talking about here. Well, I mean, we still, still, yeah, we, we poke fun. Okay. There's a lot of poking fun at students, but uh, we try to let them know you're allowed to poke fun at me, you know? I'll mess out. No, I'll goof. Write, write that down, yeah. Nate. Yeah. I'll goof, <laughs> something, I'll goof something up when I'm teaching it, and I'll stop halfway in the middle. It's like, uh, sorry, guys. Uh, I was teaching last night's move and talking about today's move. So maybe my days, you know, maybe I came back from four days at a tournament or something. Yeah, but I'm, if I make fun of you, I might not walk out of the gym. No, they make, <laughs> they make fun of me all the time, <laughs> you know. But I, some of the older students, I tell them to poke fun at me because I want everyone to see that it's a, it's 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 in so they understand it's in it's in good fun yes we we know you tried to arm lock someone on the wrong arm you know and we're poking fun at you for it but i'm going to show you how to do it the right way now or jason's going to show you how to do it the right way yeah and then the next time you're going to get it you know and then when i screw it up you can poke fun at me yeah <laughs> it's that's awesome it's, it's more of an open environment um but you you can't have a lot of ego for that you know those those people don't tend to last anywhere you know, whether whether it be at at a jujitsu gym or in their normal job, yeah, I would ex- I would nutrition. assume it would be tough there because yeah. you you can't start as a black belt. No, it's impossible. So no matter how big your ego is, you're gonna get, you know, Allie, who's a what 100, 110 pound, hundred yeah, she competes at one fourteen, one fourteen blue belt. Who if you come in as a two hundred and ten pound white belt, she is going to submit you, yeah, a hundred percent. And I've I've seen her do it in rolling with with guys before. Yeah, that's fun to watch. Wow, it's, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense, but it you can watch it happen. Or right. um, Ken, who recently got his black belt, yeah. I was watching him roll. What's what's Ken? What does he go about uh, weight wise? Um, so we're doing the Pan Americans in a week. So I think he's competing at one twenty five. Okay, wow. He's come. Yeah, he's he normally he used to compete at light feather, which is one thirty six, I believe. Okay. Yeah, he's not he's not a big guy, but I saw him rolling with a I think he was a blue belt, a bigger guy, yeah. probably you know my size, like six foot, two hundred pound guy, and he 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 submitted him like every five seconds, yep. and then and then they stood up, they they did like they do the five slap and the fist yeah. bump um, after every one, and then he explained to him how he submitted him yep. and made him go again and showed him how to defend against it, and then he would take it a step further and submit him again. Yep. But it was like this progression of, boom, submission, and then here's why it happened to you, and here's how to make sure it doesn't happen again. And I'm just like, I'm floored. I don't want to sit there with my phone out, like video on a guy that I didn't <laughs> ask if I could. But it's so, it's so, it's such a profound uh, 
thing to me and I like having my kids in it. I, I feel like I'm, you know, I would love to have been a kid and been into something like this. I can't wait to get into it myself. But um, every time I spend a significant amount of time there, I come back here with a different opinion of how I'm going to train our technicians. And, you know, I don't do a lot of plumbing training anymore, but mostly like presentation training. So it is something where we can, we can do exactly that and we'll pair off and guys will, will do that. And I'll walk the room like, which is what Damien does yeah. when he's training is everybody pairs off and starts doing the move and he walks around and he'll stop people and say, here, slide over to the left a little bit yeah. or, or bring your right hip up or, <clears throat> um, yeah, it's a, it's a really, it's a really fun thing to be into and a, um, gotta be a life changing or at least life altering. Yeah, I, I think it is. Um, well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what I do with the beginning students. Um, beginning students usually are a mess anyways on the mat. Um, so I try not to make too many corrections. The first few times they see the move, as long as they get the big parts of the movement down, we're good with that. <laughs> All right. Uh, with, with the more advanced students, it's a lot more fine-tuning. So right. that they have the big movements down already, uh, and we're just tightening up the smaller areas. Um, and as far as it being life-changing, yeah, I, it, it definitely is. Um, but you have to let it, you, you can't fight it. You got to let it change your life. Uh, a lot of people, uh, don't make it past six months. So what's, uh, what's the average, like blue, what's the average where somebody goes from white belt to blue belt in my school? Yeah. I think the fastest I've promoted someone to blue belt was nine months. I was going to say, I've, I've heard multiple times that you promote it's very slowly. Yeah. So what's the average? In a, <laughs> um, I've heard that complaint as guys are walking out the door once or twice. <laughs> yeah. And those guys will leave. Yeah. They, 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 they'll leave to go to another gym that'll promote them faster. And I'm okay with that. Um, but usually in, in our school, up to two years for a blue belt, year and a half is the, the average, I think. Though. Okay. But, I mean, I've had guys at white belt for four or five years. Those are the guys that come in, train once a week, twice a week for a couple of months, and then they disappear for three months. So no consistency. Yeah. And then, yeah, they just, uh, you know, I'm not going to promote you that way. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to get promoted that way. From what I saw at that tournament, yeah. um, a very skilled white belt is going to get demolished by a decent black or a blue belt. Yeah. It's a and completely different level. It is. And that's the thing. You can't give it back. You can't demote yourself. Oh, wow. You get promoted to blue belt. You can't go back to white belt. So every tournament you enter, yeah. you're blue belt. Yeah. You know. yeah it's, it was funny to me to see Allie, who I, I mean, I look at Allie training or training my daughter yeah. and, and, and in even uh, rolling with, you know, grown men. And I'm like, man, she, she's not a purple belt yet. And I asked her and she's like, well, I still get destroyed by blue belts at some of these tournaments. It's just crazy to me because she seems like she's nearly flawless out there on the mat. Yeah, she puts a lot of hours in. Um, she probably four or five hours a day is what she does. Wow. Um, and then she teaches also. She said she does all the uh, warm-up <laughs> moves at home yep. multiple times a day too. Yeah. That's uh, that yoga. She lifts. Um She'll be in today at 10. She'll train till uh, 11, 30, 12. Come back. 
it's Friday today. So the, during the week, she'll come back and teach five o'clock class, kids class, and then stay till eight thirty, nine. Yeah. Um, also cut, cuts hair uh, in her off time. It's a lot of the guys <laughs> in this building know. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, she puts a lot of hours in and, and a, a lot. I, if you're going to compete out of our gym, I expect you to put a lot of hours in. So the, the um, whole idea of like the belts um, and you had mentioned, you know, you have some, some belts that take years and years and years yeah. because they, they don't put in the time and that exists in the trades too, you know, where we have a, a five, 10, 15 year old, um, veteran of, of electricity or plumbing or whatever it is. And, uh, you know, you have another guy who's been in it for two years and their skill level is the same because one guy chose to invest in himself, yep. chose to discipline himself in the trade. And the other guy just kind of keeps, yeah, we keeps on keeping on. You this know? is a trade where YouTube is actually beneficial. Yeah. You, can, you can go watch in, anything in the plumbing world pulled apart and put back together on YouTube. Also, you have mats. Everybody has mats at home. Yeah. You got faucets, you got toilets, you got water heaters, yeah. and you can go uh, <clears throat> hit the mats at at home in the evening. And I tell, I tell our uh, rookies, our apprentices, all the time, go home and tear some of your plumbing apart and put it back together. If you mess up, give one of us a call. It's no big deal. Yeah, I uh, I actually went to trade school. <laughs> also for what uh, machining, mm. I was a machinist for machinist and CNC programmer for a while. Um, yeah, when I when I was in trade school, I'd stay in school. They just let us stay. We had class eight to one, and then if you wanted to stay till three o'clock, you'd stay till three o'clock. If you wanted to learn how to program, you'd get on the machine. And um, I had a good apprenticeship also as a machinist. Uh, it was a one man shop. The guy was a private shop. Guy owned it. Had a bunch of CNCs. Hey man, here's the manuals. Learn how to do it. You can come in. We're you know anytime you want. Here's the key. <laughs> You know, um, it's super easy to learn jujitsu if you want to put the hours in and you want to do it. Um, you know, uh, one of my best students has Asperger's, high-functioning high Asperger's. He doesn't compete anymore, but he's phenomenal. Um, you might have met him. His, oh, yeah. yeah, Josh. Josh yeah. yeah. You know, he's only training once a week now, twice a week. My um, kids actually really really enjoy his training which he does um he does like thursday night is it uh he used to teach thursday nights they switched his schedule so i sent him to lpn school <laughs> when he was younger um he was actually an electrician's apprentice and he just he didn't like it and uh we sat him down and he said well you know you're still young this is the time to do it pick something if you don't like it doesn't matter at least you'll have it in your background if you need to use it and you can go do something else so um, he's a LPN. He makes decent money now. Um, so jujitsu, though, jujitsu helped him get through that, which which I find pretty interesting. Um, you know, he was training same thing four or five hours a day during those years when I first opened the gym. He was one of my first students, um, but he uh, it took what he had to learn there to get good to move it over to nursing school. Okay. Um, and then that's what got him through. And we talk about it a lot. He's also my roommate. So you know. now Damien uh, earlier, Brian had, had brought up an interesting uh, paradigm that we have here where in, in jujitsu, you know, you train for months and months and months and then you have one tournament 
in, in plumbing, you train one, two times a week, and then you have tournaments nonstop where you're actually out with the customer, you know, rolling on the mat. So kind of what we were talking about there with training, you know, where, where in the training situation, you know, you have a, a master rolling with a, a rookie mm-hmm. and as soon as they're done, the master gets up and says, okay, here, you know, fix this, fix this, fix this. We don't, we don't have that. Like we can't pair up plumbers in the field yeah. to go out or, or electricians or HVAC guys. We can't pair them up in the field to go into the customer home unless it's a true apprentice situation. So how would you, how would you encourage people in the home services industry to get better? Because so much of their time is spent in competition, quote unquote, yeah. and, and we have so little of our time officially to be in training, you know, it's the complete opposite of, of the world that you come from. So how would you encourage our guys to get better? Well, I would, I would say the same thing Brian said. You have all that stuff at home, break it, break it on purpose and then fix it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, and break a lot of it. That, that's how I've learned personally, how I learned everything, you know, I'm just going to keep failing at it until I don't fail at it. Um, so, you know, in, in your field, you're not going to break your water heater every day, <laughs> right. you know, but you know, there's certain things you can do. I would, I would assume, you know, I, I laid floor tile also, so I can't count the toilets I've pulled out of bathrooms, know how to do it the first time. I just figured, well, I'll do it. And if I break it, I'll just buy a new one. You know, it's just, just money at that point, you know, a little, little bit of money or, or you know, whatever Electric, electricity, electricity I'd stay away from. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> on my on my own. Um, we but, know a guy. Yeah, um, but for I mean, and if that's how you learn, if if you learn by doing, then you have you have to do, or you're not going to progress. You know, like you said, there's if YouTube's beneficial in your field, um, if it's the right stuff, you know, because there's a lot of bad stuff on YouTube. Right. <laughs> you know, if you have training videos, yeah, you know. If they're that type of person that can learn from watching, then then the, they should be doing that to progress. You know, what about the client interaction? I mean, that's kind of hard to. Yeah, client interaction is a lot different um, because uh, some people's personalities are abrasive, no matter what they do. Um, yeah, but I'm sure you come across that in competition. Some people's styles are way different than others. Yeah. Right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So um, how, how do you adapt to a changing situation depending on your opponent? Um, well, I could tell you the, uh, for the customer service side first, because I have to do that every day. Um, I script it in the beginning when I didn't know what I was doing. I had, I scripted, I had to script everything. Um, when I get phone calls, I had to script the phone call. So whenever people would call in, know how to speak to them the right way, uh, give them the responses that they needed. Uh, on the mat, it's the same thing. Everything in the in the gym is scripted, so I know competitively if I compete, um, which moves you're doing, uh, which body type you are is going to dictate your style. Yeah, sort of. Um, so it tells sort of right away um, on the mat. Now, uh, back to customer service part. That's mostly just smile. <laughs> that's. <laughs> You know, well, you can do a lot of that too, where yeah. you, you like, you get off the, you can, you can understand right away. Oh, this person's an A type yeah. personality. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I need to keep my stuff short. 
oh, this person's asking a lot of questions. I need to be yep. very detailed in my answers or, oh, this person's not even talking about the product. They're just talking about their weekend. Okay. And some, like, I get a lot of those calls. I can go with that too. Where people call and just want to talk about jujitsu. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I do, I'll, I'll, I'll humor them because it's jujitsu. I like to talk about jujitsu. Yeah. Um, if I was a plumber, I'd like to talk about plumbing, you know? So that's <laughs> the way I'm wired, you know, um, whatever I'm doing, you know, I, when I was a machinist, I didn't mind. We could talk all day about that. I'd be fine with it. Well, you're, you're, um, you, you went into jujitsu and you have a jujitsu gym, but you, you were schooled to do, yeah. I would assume probably make a lot more money than yeah. you, than you, uh, <laughs> did do off the jujitsu gym, but. Oh yeah. That history. Um, so I've been to f- school a few times, uh, Votech for, for machine science at CNC programming. Um, did that for a while, apprenticed, uh, was working in the machine shops and then decided I want to learn something else. <laughs> Went back, uh, for computer network engineering originally finished that. Uh, I actually worked f- at the space center on the space shuttle for three years, three and a wow. half years. Awesome. Yeah. Um, they brought me in there and while I was there, decided I was going to get the, go all the way, get the full degree, uh, the bachelor's degree and then the graduate degree. Um, and I just fell into the math field. Um, I think the math field helped me with jujitsu because of the way you have to learn it. So apply statistics, um, math programming, all that stuff. So like the whole nine yards. Yeah. But yeah, I'd probably be getting paid more if I was in that field. But <laughs> so what made, what made you stick with the gym? Um, who wants to work for a living? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it, I, you can, you can watch and everybody looks like they're having yeah. last in, in the training in jujitsu, but it is, it's not like it's not work. I no, mean, it's, it's everybody it, walks out of there dripping yeah. with sweat and just exhausted, and they walk in chipper and they walk out like whew, just beat, <laughs> looking like they're gonna have a hard time driving home. Sometimes I put I put the hours in early. Yeah, when when I open the gym, um, most of our student base is word of mouth, right? Um, which which is great. I prefer it that way. Which is why we don't have 300, 400 students. We have maybe. 150, 160 students. Um, but they're all students that were referred from someone else. You know, maybe I get 20 calls this week. 15 of them are friends of friends. Yeah. You know. Well, it's not even, it's not even easy to find your gym. Yeah. And I don't do. know if you know that, but you don't have any signs. I know we do that on purpose. <laughs> you got the windows like curtained out. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I, uh, I, I looked online to find a jujitsu gym for me and my two older kids to join. And I saw Gracie 717 has by far the, the reputation in Lancaster County. And um, we looked for it, and one office address was closed. And Yep, that's on purpose, too. <laughs> fortunately, my buddy Adnan, or our, our share buddy, yeah. who's my neighbor, Adnan, um, used to train there, and his cousin, Dennis, currently trains there. Yeah. Um, and he, he was at one of my bonfires, and he told me he trained in a few martial arts and I told him my, my woes that I couldn't find Gracie 717. <laughs> and he said, well, my cousin's there now. Yeah. So he actually got me the, the right address. So we let that go because of COVID, but I still had to go into the gym every day, whether we were training or not. I, I owned the place. I, I couldn't, you know, 
it's habitual now. I've been going in twice a day since 2011. <laughs> wow. You know, so it was, uh, yeah, that was rough. But, you know, here's the, the 20 extra pounds on me <laughs> right now. So let's talk about speaking of the pounds because I know you're dieting down right now. I oh, noticed yeah. your your um your uh Red Bulls are are sugar free now. Yeah. So <clears throat> um you have a tournament coming up. Uh it's gonna be in November for myself. But so you're already cutting for a tournament in November. Yeah, I normally compete. Um so these tournaments you you weigh in for whatever weight class you're gonna be, but they weigh you in like fifteen minutes before you compete with your uniform on. So, ouch. Yeah, it it's not too bad. So um, you can't fast cut and put weight back on like, oh, I like do. they would in the UFC <laughs> in 15 minutes. Um, there's tricks to it. So I'll, I'll try to diet down. I'm really heavy right now. I'm normally not this heavy. So I compete at 154. By really heavy? Uh, 189. At six feet tall? Yeah, 5'11", <laughs> six feet. Yeah. Com- compared to my weight class. Yeah, I'm, I'm a... 154 is uh is not that not that big. So you compete at 154 at 511. Yeah, 154 uh usually have to be about 151 because my uniform's 3.3 pounds with the belt. <laughs> and for, you know, we <laughs> don't down. this isn't a YouTube or a video yeah. uh podcast, but Damien is tall, Damien's broad shoulder. Yeah. He's not a scrawny guy by any means. I'm imagining getting to 154 is not yeah. fun at 45 years old. Uh, I haven't competed in the last two years. So, um, first time was hard after that was, was cake. Cause you start to, you know, learn how to do it the right way. Um, so I know I need to be a certain weight before I start, start my water cut. Um, usually I'll diet down to one fifty seven, one fifty eight, and then I'll water cut four or five pounds. What's water cutting? Uh, so sauna, just getting all the sweat. <laughs> just, out. Yeah. Just getting, you know, I'll, I'll drop four pounds of water and not, not body fat. So by that time I'm pretty lean at 158. Okay. Uh, and when we were training normally uh, before all the COVID stuff, I was walking around 165, but at that time I was doing 20, 30 rounds a day. Maybe five minute rounds. Wow. And so I do 10 in the morning, 10 or 12, and then 10 at night. The rounds are just you and Nate get, get yeah, on the floor just and just sparring, go. sparring okay. rounds. Try yeah. to tap and, each other. Yeah. You know, not all of them hard, but just to stay moving. Yeah. Well, if you're doing that with me, you could probably do like 150 rounds <laughs> in like an hour or something. It'd be pretty quick. <laughs> well, I mean, I can't, uh, like you've seen Jason grapple. I can't grapple at a 20 year old speed anymore. Um, so age is starting to play a factor, but lucky for me when we compete, it's normally skill level, weight class, age level. So there, there's a certain, uh, everything's broken up by, I think five or six year, uh, age brackets after 30 years old. Okay. So you're not, no. you're not competing against a 25 year old. No, not, not, not on that circuit. <laughs> right. But you're, you're a black belt and it takes, I mean, average what twelve years? Yeah, I tend to twelve. Years. He just Damien just texted me and said second degree black belt. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, <laughs> sorry, great one. You are a second degree black belt. Um, so and, and you know, let's say average twelve years, and would that 
would that be like 12 years from whenever you start or 12 years from like age 18 to uh, to obtain a black belt uh, from whenever you start whenever you start so yeah. if i started at age 12 i could be a black belt at age 24 yes okay you could be um most of them actually if you start at age 12 most of them usually are uh, about 19 the uh, according to the ibjjf you're not supposed to have a black belt there you you can't be awarded your black belt until you're 19. yeah so, they were uh, my yeah. daughter went with ali and Letitia, two of the ladies who train at Damien's gym, to um, out to Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, for an all-female, yep. like just a rolling thing for a full day. Um, and she said she was impressed to meet and be submitted by a 19-year-old female black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, which was pretty amazing. Yeah, so the, we have age limits on on those belts. Uh, blue belt, I think you have to be 16 um, nowadays. Okay. So I guess my, my question was that there would be black belts close to your same oh, yeah. skill level, but yeah, there's considerably plenty. younger. Oh yeah. There's a, there's a lot okay. of them. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of 19 year old black belts out of Brazil, you know, um, and they're tough. <laughs> you know, those are, those are kids that, you know, started yeah, young and trained a lot. Speaking of training, I mean, one of the things we wanted to focus on was discipline. So speak to how that, how the, how the concept of discipline plays into your rise in jujitsu um, and how you use that to instruct even your students now. Uh, I have a good example. Um, we raised our first uh, world champion. Justin. Justin, yeah. We call him Gigantor. He's, he's, <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's big. Um, Is he about 6'4"? Probably about 6'4". Uh, he competes around 200 pounds wow um, he's very strong um so this guy comes into the gym 6 a.m monday tuesday thursday friday on his own runs like five six miles does his little workout does some yoga i come in i teach then he spars and then he goes back to working out <laughs> wow yeah. um He's got a YouTube channel. He was telling. Yeah, me. yeah, he does have a YouTube channel. It's 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 a funny YouTube channel. What's though. his uh, What's his channel name? In case I, anybody I, wants I, to I'm, take any idea. I'm not sure. Right off the top of last my head. Last name. Uh, his last name's High H I G H. Okay, Justin High. Yeah. Yeah. He was telling me he does like a Yingling Lager. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> smashes one and then crushes the can and then goes and does some bench pressing or yep. something. Yeah. It's 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 for it, it's a a funny, funny little skit he does there. Um, so to get to that level of jujitsu, it's a lot of hours and, um, a lot of times you have to force yourself to do it. And so I find for myself, when I was coming up, the the days I learned the most and the, the, the days I had the breakthroughs, uh, on certain moves or, you know, I, maybe I've been rolling with this brown belt as a blue belt for three months now and he's just beating me up. The days I didn't want to go to the gym were the days it's like, wow, I caught, finally caught that move on him. Yeah. You know, um, but that happens a lot. You're going to have to force yourself to do stuff you don't want to do, but eventually it becomes habitual, right? And, and once the habit's formed, you're good. You know, it, it doesn't require a whole lot of discipline after that. It, 
just the that first chunk of time takes a lot out of you sometimes and you you're gonna have days where you wake up and you feel beat up everything's miserable and you don't want to do this <laughs> and anymore. you don't want to do it you know but i still get in the car as soon as i get to the gym though everything changes it's like all right no i want to be here today you know you just have to force yourself to do it a lot of times and, until it's a habit and once it's a habit you know everything's everything's easy sailing from there yeah get that routine down yeah. Yeah, that's a, a lot of what it is, you know. And like I said, uh, we have a jujitsu has a low attrition rate. People quit usually at the three month mark, six month mark. They make it past six months. It's usually right before or right after they get their blue belt. You know, they decided they were going to quit at eight months, but they're already eight months in. I'm going to get my blue belt and a handful a month, so they'll stay until then. Um, and the funny thing is if they would have just pushed it another two months, you know, three months. It really it really seems as an outsider looking in, um, blue belt is, is by far the hardest belt to yeah, get. Yeah, it's it's I wouldn't say the hardest to get, but it's the, the belt where all most of the learning happens. You know, it I let them go a little longer because I want them to feel comfortable in the belt. And a lot of a lot of jujitsu students don't get this in the beginning. Uh, we were talking about it earlier. Um, you can't give the belt back. Uh, and if you were getting tapped by white belts yesterday, putting a blue belt around your waist is not going to make, make you magic. That That's still going to happen. Right. right. <laughs> You're still going to get tapped by those same white belts, you know, tomorrow. So I, I like them to fit into their belt a little more than just, you know, well, I, you know, you're ready for your blue belt today. I'm going to make you wait another couple months. You know, because I, I want you to be comfortable in it. I don't want you to feel uh, like you have to prove anything once you get it. You've already proved it, you know. Um, and that takes discipline, too. Like, not having ego takes discipline. <laughs> like, having to remind yourself um, on the mat or even, you know, with the customer service stuff. The, the customers that come in, they don't usually know what they're talking about a lot of times. But you can't tell them that. You know, because a lot of them might feel insulted or you, you might might hurt their feelings one way or the other. And then just try to lead them in, into into where they need to go, you know. Use their body weight against them. Yeah, yeah that too, <laughs> on the mat. <laughs> I say, yeah, exactly, same thing on the mat. I don't, and, unless I'm with one of my higher level guys, I don't jump on the mat with a white belt and try to smash them. I actually usually let them beat me up the first four minutes, you know. And and then whatever happens after that, you've seen me train. I'm usually giggling the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> That's got to be frustrating. <laughs> Unless you're training with Jason. Yeah, if I'm training with Jason, it's, it's, it's a lot full, of work. It's full blast. Yeah. There's a few guys that I know if I pick them, it's going to be full blast. Um, and at this age, maybe once a week, I'll, I'll pick one of the, you know, one of those guys. You going to step that up as you enter? Uh, oh yeah, get closer to the tournament. Yeah, I'll step it up probably um, next month. So I'm pretty on track with the weight right now. I've been dropping three pounds a week. So with just a little diet modification, you know, I'll pick it up to ten rounds a day, and then we'll do that for a couple of weeks. Increase that to fifteen. Um, and then 20, and then probably 30 or 40 rounds a day. 
Wow. Well, hey, Damien, we're bringing in for a landing here. And, you know, obviously this has been an outsider's perspective and just kind of an interesting conversation about discipline and training and mentorship. Uh, are there any other words of wisdom or um, perspective that you could give us? Uh, just get out there and do it, <laughs> you know, um, as far as learning stuff. You, you, you know how you, everyone knows how they learn. Just, just if you need to learn something, you, you just do it. Try to do it the right way the first time. Um, if you're going to make errors, if you try to recognize the errors you're making, and if you can't fix them on your own, find someone that you know can fix them and show you, lead you the right way. So, and that, that'll take you a long way into pretty much anything. As you see it, what separates? I feel like there are three types of um, technicians that come in to this building as well as probably three types of, of people who go on to the mat. It's your, your people who are just committed and dedicated and go all the way um, to black belt. And there, there are those techs we see who are committed in the beginning and maybe they get to their blue or or purple belt and they, and that's it. As uh, David Sandler famously said, they don't have 10 years of experience. They have one year of experience and they repeated it nine times. And then there are your, you know, your dime a dozen come in, um, try, eh, give it a, a, you know, somewhat of an effort, not very much. And then just kind of realize it's a lot of work and it's not for them and fizzle out. But what, what's the, what separates the, the uh, person who comes in and goes hard for the beginning and then just, just doesn't stick with it between, them and like black belts black belt is not easy to get tell you exactly what it is um it for what i do um coachability if they if they're coachable if they're willing to be coached um then i can get them to wherever they want to go do you find yourself having to motivate people and and able to motivate people who kind of start to lose it a little bit and oh yeah fall out yeah yeah you have to sometimes um and sometimes that motivation comes in telling them stuff they don't want to hear. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, if it's delivered the right way, uh, they can take it and they, they run with it, you know. Um, Justin High is a perfect example of that. Uh, when he started, he was not as coachable as he is now. And it was it was a lot of taking him to the corner and, and you know, not so much wagging the finger at him, but saying, hey, man, if you're not going to do what I'm asking you to do, you don't need to be here. You know, if you want to just have fun and train, that's fine. But you're telling me you want to win a world championship. You got to listen and you have to do what you're being asked to do. Um, you know, so you're going to have to get with the program or I can take you to one of my friend's gyms. It's a different style of gym. right? Um, if they're coachable, they'll they'll do what needs to be done. And most people don't like being told what to do. <laughs> so finding a way to do it where, where they agree with how you're approaching them with it, you know, and that changes for every student. Uh, Hagee's a perfect example too. I just say, Hey, do this. All right, coach, <laughs> you know, um, but there's that trust also, you know, Justin won that world championship. So he has a lot of trust in me now. So I have to step up also again. 
you know, he stepped up. So now I have to step up more. Um, and so, you know, it, it's, uh, that's a special dynamic, I think. Awesome. Hey, thanks so much for being with us today, Damien. We really appreciate your perspective and you sharing some time with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. And just in case anybody's interested in learning more about uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu or joining your gym, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Uh, you can go right to the website, which is uh, gracie717.com, and phone number, address are both listed on there. Well, hey, Damien, we can't let you go without having a little bit of fun with you here at the end here. So we'd like to ask you some fun questions. Uh, since you are a extremely disciplined person, I'm curious, you know, what is the food that you struggle most to not eat during your dieting? <laughs> yeah, good one. Uh, Fettuccine Alfredo. Here, here. All right. I don't care where you're at and what's going on. If somebody hands you a hot bowl of Fettuccine Alfredo, yeah. if you're a human being, you're going to have a hard time passing that up. <laughs> That's the one that would get me. Uh, I wouldn't be able to compete in the tournament. It gets me every time. <laughs> uh, tell it about. Tell us about a time when you got like most frustrated in a tournament or a situation like that. Uh, boy, uh, Miami, Florida. In the finals match of the Miami Open, um, uh, my opponent would not engage. There's actually two opponents that day. Just would not engage. I finally just sat down right on the mat, right in the middle. <laughs> so we'd have to. Uh, it was that match. Uh, second match, um, same thing. Why, I wouldn't engage. Why not? It's a certain style of jiu-jitsu. Um, so... There's a lot of, that's uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So sometimes there's Brazilian refs, and sometimes you're fighting a Brazilian <laughs> from certain teams that they give a lot of leeway okay, to do stuff that I, I would get penalized for. But, yeah, just, you know, not co- co- opponents that don't want to compete. They're, they're on the mat, but they don't want to do anything. You know, numerous times. So. All right. Uh, so, what, so what do they do? They stall. They just, they, they don't engage. Yeah, you try to engage with them, they back up. Or they'll engage with you, and then they'll back up. <laughs> so what's the game, what what would their game plan be in that scenario? Uh, what happens there is they try to run the clock down uh, to the last minute. They try to hit a takedown, or they try to score their point, and then you have 25, 30 seconds before you get called for stalling. Mm. Uh, first call is just a warning, second call is a penalty, so they actually have a minute. So if they could score an advantage or a point, two points, whatever it is, they can ride that last minute out without having to do anything. And they still win. Wow. Yeah, and still I feel win. like we need refs in, in our uh, presentations. <laughs> you get that client that's just yeah. got to get the phone, got to do some texting. Like you just can't really get them to engage. Yeah. You know, we, we need a ref to walk out and go, you're about to lose a point here. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, perfect. All right. If you could live anywhere in the world, where are you picking? Uh, geez. Um, well, Probably back home in Florida, in Tampa. All right. Yeah. yeah. Good old Florida. Yeah, I love it there. All right. If you were, uh, if you dropped out of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and joined the WWE, what would be your walk-up song? <laughs> oh, geez. <laughs> um, man, probably Walk from Pantera. Nice. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, played that for Juliana on the way to the gym the other day. All right. Last one for you here. Uh, what do you think is the biggest thing needed by the next generation? Take 
responsibility for your own stuff. Responsibility. <laughs> you had a hard time saying that without swearing. Yeah. You <laughs> you're where you're at because you put yourself there. Yeah. You're here. Own it. Yep. Love it. Uh, that's something that we really encourage everybody to do who listens to this podcast. Own it. Uh, the podcast is called Waste No Day, and that means waking up every single morning and choosing to make the most of it. So thanks again, Damien. Really appreciate you being on. Uh, for those of you listening, hope this was encouraging to you uh, to kind of institute some new disciplines or some new ideas, some new ownership in your life. Remember, you have the opportunity to make yourself better. Nobody's going to do it for you. You have the opportunity to wake up every single morning and choose to waste no day. podcast is a production of the South Central Pennsylvania branch of One Hour Heating and Air Conditioning, Benjamin Franklin Plumbing, and Mr. Sparky Electric. <laughs>